0: I know we was gone for a while, but we back, we back, we back, we back, we back, we back, we back. It's Nacho Mama's Christine Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Nacho Mama's the Christian Podcast. The Christian Podcast is Don't Take Yourself Too Seriously. I am your host, Shane, here with
1: Eric again. Again? It's the only other person you'd really be I know. It's right? <laughs> yeah, who else would you be with? Shock well, everybody. Eric's done. here. You've done two episodes without me, I think. Yep. We've never done one without you. Like, nope. I'm sure people would love one, but. <laughs> so we've and been it, we've been gone for a while. I know, and this episode is a first for us. This is the first time we're recording an episode on Skype with us two. Yeah. We've yeah. never done this before. We've done we've skyped other people we've interviewed, obviously, but we've never done one where where we are not in the same room. Right. right. So that's pretty. That's I don't know. What why is that why is that happening now? It's a big moment. Um, uh, because no, not. I, because uh, my family moved.
0: Yeah. from out out of the neighborhood. So if you've been listening for a while, then you knew that Eric and I were living in the same neighborhood, like like four houses away or something like that.
1: And I just got so sick of them, so I, I had to leave. Yeah. You know, we used to have a lot of friends that lived in his neighborhood, and they all left. Yeah, there's well, only I mean, one common denominator. Well, years later,
0: part of the reason why we were okay with leaving is because we knew that. That you
1: are going to be moving this year. Yep, in a couple of months. So hopefully. we just beat you to the punch. Yeah, yeah. You're you're back at our old childhood home. Yeah, yep. Two two houses down from mommy and daddy. Yeah, and it's awesome with kids. <laughs> <laughs> For it being not your mama's Christian podcast, one of the hosts is really a mama's boy. <laughs> Can't stay away from his yeah. mama.
0: And I, oh, you know what? I better say this too because. Uh, um, when with us moving, uh, I need to give. We should give a shout out to mom, because our mom is is a real estate agent, and she <laughs> did good work selling our old home and getting us into this new home all within like a few weeks. So, um, if you need a real estate agent in the in the DMV, yeah. Oh, she can't do. She can't do Virginia. <laughs> yeah. In the M. Yeah. In Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you need a real estate agent, um, contact Sandy Valentine, because she's awesome. And if you need help finding her, let us know. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll give you her information because she's what,
1: awesome. What are some, what are some ways they can, they can find out that information, chain really quick? <laughs> oh boy, you caught me off guard. <laughs> Easy though. All you gotta do
0: is create a bird call out your kitchen window. Just go, and then all these birds are gonna come flying in. Separate the crows from the rest of them because you don't want those. Get a bird, wrestle to the ground, take your question, tape it onto the back of the bird, slap its butt, send it out the window, and it'll find us, and the question will say, how do I get in contact with Sandy Balancing? I need to sell my home and buy a new one. And then we will get in touch with
1: you. Does that work? I don't know what to do now because that's normally how we end podcast. But we're only beginning.
0: Oh, well, you really caught me off guard with that one. That was quick. You normally give me a little bit more time to think of something than, than you did on that one.
1: I know. So yeah, so we, we haven't recorded since our Christmas episode. Yeah. We were hoping to record a couple months ago, uh, last month in January. And uh, there's a... Sometimes we go... Uh, we have a long break just because we're a little lazy. And we... <laughs> and we and we haven't had time to do it, right? I wouldn't we say that we're a little lazy. I would say that we're a little busy. That's how lazy. I would put it. We're not that busy. I mean, we're busy, but lazy, busy. There's, I don't know. But this one, we there was some major stuff happening uh, with with you, yeah. um, with your kids. So for this episode, it's not going to – this probably won't be the most fun episode. No. But this, this is a real-life episode um, because – Shane's had a lot of stuff going on, and if you know us personally, which a uh, good amount of our listeners know us personally, um, you've known about what's been happening, mm-hmm. um, but you don't know all the details. And if you don't know us personally, then you have no clue kind of what some of the stuff Shane's been going through. So uh, we figured we'd just let, have a podcast where Shane and us talk about what's been happening um, mm-hmm. with with uh, them. So uh Shane, give us some background before you kind of start. like yeah. what How are your kids? That kind of stuff.
0: Right. So we have two kids. We have a three-year-old. I have a th- Lauren and I have a three-year-old daughter named Camden. And then we just had a baby boy named Russell on uh, September 2nd of 2019. So he's five months old now. Uh, but all, all within a span of us moving. So we moved the Monday after Christmas. And then by that Friday after that, I had the flu. And then that Tuesday after that, I had
1: pink eye. <laughs> you know, you get pink eye. People fart in your eye. <laughs> that's not. Yes, it is. That's not, not, that's it. Or it, someone poops on your or farts on your pillow and you sleep on it. But so then must have farted <laughs> on your, on your pillow? So, actually,
0: Russell had pink eye before, so he, I I got it from him. But anyways, uh, okay. sure, sure. Yeah, so that's a little bit of an easier explanation. And maybe <laughs> he somehow got poop on his fingers and touched his eye. I don't know. Maybe that's how he got pink eye, which then in turn gave me pink eye. Whatever. Um, and so uh, uh, so we moved on a Monday. I had the flu by Friday. I had pink eye by the next Tuesday. Our household was, was just pretty sick. And then by that Wednesday, Russell got just, just like runny nose, coughing, kind of you know a little – you could tell that he had a cold. And so my wife Lauren took him to the pediatrician and, and – He hey, was how old at this point? Four I'm sorry. months. Four months, Yeah, okay. Four months old. So we, my wife just took him to a doctor's appointment just because with a, with a baby – I don't know if – I know a lot of people are parents but not everybody is. Like when a baby that young gets sick, like you can't mess around with it. You got you to take him to the doctor's pretty quick. Yeah. Like if I get a cold, it's just like whatever, right? And, unless it lasts for a long time. But for a baby, you got to take him, and so she went to the pediatrician, and right away, uh, when she got to the pediatrician, they said you need to take him to the hospital because we don't—it's beyond what they were comfortable with.
1: Now, before before you get to that, before you took him, yeah. and they and they didn't think it was as big a deal. But what was happening? Why'd you take? It was just a cold, yeah, or what? Well, so he's always
0: had like like a loud breathing going on like kind of like a uh, uh, like when he's hungry yeah. but it's not all yeah. the time and so we when at the regular doctor's appointments and who was this was before he was sick we would take him and what they told us was that he just has acid reflux really bad and so Lauren eliminated dairy from her diet so we don't give him any dairy because we think he has a cow's milk allergy all this stuff which is I don't know if that's boring or not but There were, like, a few things that we were just like, oh, it's kind of weird, but the doctors think that he's fine.
1: So I remember seeing him on Wednesday Mm -hmm. because he was at – Russell was at mom and dad's while they were babysitting all their kids. And mom and I were both like, man, he does not seem good. Yeah. But the doctor said, well, that's just acid reflux. But he's like – Really, like <gasps> right. trying trying to breathe, but the the pediatrician tells you it's not a big deal. Now we knew that at that point, like he had a cold, and so
0: his breathing was worse. Um, but it still, I still wasn't concerned at that point because, and the, and it wasn't the pediatrician's fault, but they were just like, yeah, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. He just is a loud breather and just sounds kind of junky. Uh, yeah, but it's but it has to do with acid reflux, is what they what they thought. And so either way, we take him to the doctor at that point. This is on Thursday. Now Lauren takes him to the pediatrician and they say, we need to go to the hospital. So Lauren calls me and I'm like, okay, great. So I leave Camden, uh, with, with mom and dad. And I, and I meet her at, uh, the hospital, which is Howard County hospital. And, um, they say, yeah, we better get him just some oxygen. His breathing just doesn't look that good. So they put him on high-flow oxygen, which basically is like just a breathing tube in his nose. That's all that it is. It's just uh-huh. putting the air up there. Um, and they admit us. So it's Thursday night. I stay, we stay there Thursday night overnight. But they said on Thursday night, you'll probably go home tomorrow morning. Um, yeah
1: it's it's just a little thing yeah and, no big and deal in a, in a day you'll be home we
0: expect him to go home tomorrow morning we expect his breathing to be better by tomorrow so we say okay no big deal so we're there friday morning and they say as ah, breathing still isn't that good yet we'll have to keep him probably the rest of the day hopefully we can get you home tonight if not you'll go home saturday morning so we're like okay it sucks but whatever that's it's nothing to be concerned about and he seems fine he's smiling the whole time No no problem mm. And so then Friday night comes, and Lauren and I are both there. And then um, I I tell Lauren, why don't you go home, get some sleep. I'll stay with him in the hospital because we still have Camden as well. But at this point, I think Camden was sleeping at your house. Yeah, something. Because you were like – you knew we were dealing with Russell in the hospital. So you said, why don't Camden come over and sleep with us so we don't have to worry about her. But Lauren went home to get some sleep. So Saturday – Friday night, Saturday early morning, Russell wakes up to eat at about midnight. Friday night, which is normal. So <laughs> I start to feed him and, um, uh, in the hospital and the nurse comes in and gets me milk and all this sort of thing. And I start to feed him and I, and I say to the nurse, he just looks different to me. Like his breathing was worse. Like he was having a, a more difficult time breathing even than he was a few hours ago. Mm-hmm. So I say to the nurse, "Hey, he looks different, and, and she says, well, all of his vitals are look okay, he looks okay, but I'll let the doctor know. Um, and so I feed him, and it just keeps getting a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And um, the, eventually, a, a different nurse walks in and said, we need to get the doctor ASAP. So at this point, I'm still like, okay, like what's going on? And yeah. she goes, and she gets a doctor, and they take us out of the room that we were sleeping in, that we were staying in, and they move us to a, a different room that is kind of like a triage room that has more stuff to look at it. And while we're in there, the doctor comes in, and the doctor is just looking at me, looking at Russell, and he says, "We need to transfer you guys to Johns
1: Hopkins." for people that don't know Johns Hopkins, it's like one of the best hospitals. In the world, in the world, top four. Yeah, I think it's ranked four this year. Mm-hmm. It's um,
0: downtown Baltimore City. A lot of people know about it. Um, if you know Ben Carson, he was uh, a brain surgeon there, and I mean, it's it's it is like the Disney World of hospitals.
1: Yeah, they're the real deal. Mm-hmm. So you were at like our local hospital, yeah, but now they're trans they're transferring you to like the hospital of hospitals because of how concerned they are about what's happening
0: but even at this point i still wasn't that concerned because when we first got to howard county they said we're going to give him oxygen but if it gets to a certain level of oxygen that he needs then we have to transfer you to hopkins as a precautionary because they have more things in case of an emergency than we do so i knew that that was always a possibility but it wasn't like dire if that were to happen. It was just uh-huh. a precautionary thing. So they say, we have to transfer you to Hopkins. So I'm like, okay, great. Um, so they up his oxygen flow um, to, and expecting that to calm his breathing down. That doesn't work. So they say, okay, we need to give him some steroids to calm his breathing down. They give him steroids. That doesn't work. They do some other medical things that I don't know what they are, what they meant, um, and that doesn't work. And each step of the way was he's getting worse and he's getting worse and he's getting worse. And, um, and I had called Lauren at that point to let her know we're going to Hopkins. And Lauren, my wife, is a, is a nurse. So she works in labor delivery, but she knows way more than I do in a lot of things, but especially in the medical field. And so I tell her we have to transfer to Hopkins. And she starts to freak out at this point. What time is this? This is about 1 in the morning. Understandably so, she's starting to to freak out. I am trying to stay calm because I kind of feel like that's like my that's where I come in. Like I, I want to be the calming presence, and I also don't understand what's happening. Um, and they don't have time to tell me what's happening because anytime you mess with breathing with anybody, but especially a four month old baby, it's it's no joke. You, they they got to move right. Yeah, you don't have a lot of time, and so they they. They do all these things, and nothing's working, and Russell's getting worse and worse and worse. And at this point, his head is bobbing. He's having trouble breathing. It is a struggle, like it, and, it's, and it's getting scarier and scarier. So then what they say is, we have to intubate him, which means they have to put a breathing tube down his throat because he cannot breathe on his own now at this point. So they transfer us to another room, which is an even more serious room, which is just a few rooms down from where we were. And they bring in uh, the doctor who's going to intubate him. And at this point, I kind of step – I was holding him the whole time. Now they take him from me and lay him on the bed. And he is really, really, really struggling. So I'm standing outside of the, of the, of the room. And now Lauren gets to the hospital. She walks in. Um, and they go to intubate him, which is a scary thing to watch and a scary thing to see, regardless. But especially for your for your four month old baby, it's really yeah. scary. Like it's 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 a weird thing to watch because they're putting a <laughs> tube down down his throat. Um, but the problem is here, we don't know this at this point. But now we do that he has an abnormal airway, so they put this breathing tube down his throat. And his airway actually is in the shape of an hourglass, which nobody knows. So it starts wide, gets really narrow at one point, and then gets wide again into his lungs. But the doctors don't know this. We don't know this. Nobody could know this. So they go to put this breathing tube down his throat, and they basically hit a wall. And with having a cold, your, your throat is already experiencing some swelling. If you shove a tube down there, and you're trying to intubate, and you hit the trachea, it's just going to make it even more swollen. So now, keep in mind, his airway is an hourglass to start. With a cold, it's swollen, so it's even more narrow. And now they shove a breathing tube down his throat, and it hits the wall, and it makes it even more (laughs) narrow. In other words, his airway is shutting at this point. It's closing yeah. completely.
1: You can barely breathe.
0: Barely, you, you cannot get hardly any air down there. Um, and people are starting to panic. My wife is there with me at that point. She sees the monitors, and she knows what all those numbers on the monitors mean, where I don't, I don't know. Would you know? No. I, so I don't know. But there's a lot of beeping going on, and I know that that's not good. And I can see. That it's not good. And at this point, more and more doctors, more and more nurses are coming into the room. And the more doctors and nurses that there are, the more serious it is. Yeah. It's not good when there are more. Um, and there's, at this point, I don't know, 10 people in the room. And they aren't panicking, but we know this is not good. And Lauren really knows that this is not good. Um, basically, we're we're about to lose him. I mean, his his airway is... Anybody, it's, it's not good. So Lauren and I just start praying. We're crying. We're in, we're in a side room. We're trying to like stay calm, but it's impossible with, with your kid. I mean, we don't know if he's going to make it. Um, we, it is this, by far the scariest moment of my life, without a doubt. Um, so at this point, the people from Johns Hopkins come to Howard County Hospital and they walk in the room and it was, it was pretty crazy to see when the Hopkins people walked in, everybody else, everybody else just clears out. It's like, just get out of their way. They know what Mm -hmm. they're doing. And um, not that the Howard County people didn't, but I mean, Howard County is fine. Uh, But Hopkins is one of the best hospitals in the world, as we said. So these people walk in and everyone just gets out of their way and they, Try to intubate him, and now at this point, it's like stick. It's like threading a needle. That's how narrow his airway is, and so they're trying to get it in. We're all freaking out, and they're able to get it just barely in where they can start bagging him to get him some oxygen. And at this point, his oxygen levels have been dropping like drastically, and so they absolutely one hundred percent saved his life because if he didn't get oxygen quick it it wouldn't have been good. Um, yeah. And so there's a few doctors. One guy is holding the bag and he's squeezing it, giving, giving some air into his lungs. And then there's another doctor who she is at his head holding the tube in his mouth and she cannot move. If she moves or if that tube moves at all, they, they could lose it and have to re-intubate him and they don't know if they could do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is that narrow. That doctor had to hold that tube in place from Howard County Hospital all the way to Johns Hopkins, which is about a 30-minute drive, which is down into the city. She couldn't move. The entire way in the ambulance, she was holding that tube in place um, yeah. all the way down there. And I talked to her um, later. She came back to visit Russell later in the week. And, um, and she, she, uh, I asked her, I said was what was that like for you? And she said, a doctor at Hopkins, that was by far the scariest time for me as a doctor. Like, that's amazing to me that that was her response because she's seen some stuff. People come from Hopkins from all over the world to, to go there. So she's seen some stuff. And she said, she's never been more scared than in that moment. Um, And uh, so they transfer him all the way down to Hopkins Lauren rides in an the ambulance, and, and I drive behind. And once we arrive at Hopkins at this point, it's about 4 in the morning. And there are maybe 20 doctors and nurses waiting for us when we arrive. Uh, and they roll Russell in, and they had a plan right away. They said, okay, we have to take him back to the OR to do an emergency. They call, You call it surgery, but it's not like they cut him open or anything. Basically, they're going down his throat to get that the breathing tube more secure in his trachea. And, um,
1: and at this point they don't know why it's stuck. Nope. Nobody um, knows. Nobody knows anything things are going on. So what walk us through what, um, what, uh, at this point mm-hmm. you and Lauren are yeah. feeling or thinking or yeah. doing. So
0: th- we, we see all these doctors and we meet them. They all have masks on. We don't know who it, who's who. And they tell us we're, we're going to take him back to the OR and we're, we we want to try to get this to more secure, um, but and they want to try to see down his throat with a little camera to see what's going on, um, and they're doing X rays and all this stuff. And basically, they were like, "We don't know what's going to happen," um, and they couldn't guarantee us anything. So we had to kiss him goodbye, and and uh, we had oh, that was the hardest moment uh for me and for lauren because it was literally a moment of saying goodbye to our to our baby and not knowing if we would see him again. And uh yeah. That was the worst. Um and so we kiss him and it was so fast we got there and within five minutes they're rushing him back to the OR and they say give him a kiss and we give him a kiss and we hug him. And um, he's not awake at this point. Um, and uh, they rush him back. And then we go and sit in a waiting room. And uh, we don't know if we're ever going to see him again um, alive. And uh, it was the longest. I don't, even, I don't even know how much time it was. If it was an hour or an hour and a half or what. Uh, but it felt like an eternity just waiting for a doctor to come back in and to tell us that he's okay. Uh, so when we go into the waiting room, uh, a chaplain comes and sits with us. His name is Josh. And uh, you've been in those situations as a pastor. I've been in those situations as a pastor. And uh, it's it's never an easy thing to do. And that's what he does all the time. Like that's his job. He just goes and sits with people at, at the hospital Who are struggling and don't know what's going to happen, and maybe lost somebody or whatever it is. Like that's what he does every day. And I was like, my goodness, I don't know how you do it. But he sat with us, and he was wonderful. He he supported us. He he was while we're crying, he's praying with us. He's. um, I at one point I was like, I need to just get my mind off of this. And so I'm asking. I was like, I just want to know about you. So I'm asking him all these questions because I can't sit there anymore, just like thinking about what's happening. Um, we called. Uh, we called mom and dad at this point. We're, we're starting. We we let you guys know, and we just started to ask people to pray and uh, and and to lift them up. And um, it was by far the worst hour and a half of my life, just waiting. Um. And eventually, a doctor walks back in and tells us that he's stable, at least, that they're able to get the breathing tube a little bit more secure and, and in his throat, but he has to be paralyzed and sedated, uh, because for a baby you know with a breathing tube, he's going to try to grab it, all those sort of things. And it's still like so narrow that we don't have a lot of, a lot of space here, and so he, ha- he has to be knocked out. Um. yeah, so th- I've, I've been going through a lot. Are there any questions or things that you feel like I'm missing? Or
1: No, you're good. Right. Keep going.
0: So this point now, it's 7 in the morning. Uh, we've been up all night. And um, they tell us we can come back and see him. Mom and Dad showed up at the hospital. They're there with us now. You have Camden. Um, you and Erica have Camden. And they say, all right, come back and see him. So we get to walk back into the room and see him, and he has all of these tubes and stuff all over him, and his he's he's a mess, but he's knocked out. So we're but we're at least able to see him. He's breathing. Uh, we can we can we can kiss him. We can't hold him. Um, we can we can hold his hand. All those sort of things, but we can't uh, do much beyond that. And um, basically, the plan at that point was he had to be on a breathing tube. Uh, on a ventilator for at least forty eight hours, and it really turned out to be uh, almost a week of him being on the ventilator um, as they're taking MRIs, they're t- they're, do- they're looking at all these things in him to try to figure out what was wrong, because even the doctors at Hopkins didn't know they were they were still like, "We don't understand because all that he had going on was the common cold. He didn't yeah. have the flu. He didn't have RSV, he didn't have none of that stuff. All that he had was the rhinovirus, which is a cold. That's it.
1: Yeah. And I know, well, I know since you had the flu at one point yeah. and you didn't get like a flu shot. Yep. You were thinking that it was your fault that this is happening. Yeah. Like he got he got the flu and because you didn't get a flu shot, so there's guilt with that. So that yeah that
0: was difficult. Like I was struggling with that just when he was at Howard County and we thought that he was fine because I felt bad because I didn't get a flu shot. And my wife being a nurse had been on me to get a flu shot and I hadn't. I, I honestly haven't gotten a flu shot in years. I just yeah. don't really think about it. And like, I don't know. And I haven't gotten the flu in years, but that's I don't, that, that wasn't why I didn't get the flu shot. I just never did. Um, so I was struggling with that for sure. And then at this point, I'm like, what happened? Like, what did I do? Is this all because I didn't get a flu shot and now I got my son sick and now he's going to lose his life? Like, those are thoughts that are going through your head, which aren't rational. Um, yeah. But in those moments, nothing's rational. Like, yeah. you can't think straight. And uh, I've never been in a moment like this before in my life, and you haven't either, right? Like, mm. w- we, we know people who have died um, and grandparents who have died and those sort of things, but um, we've, we've been around other families and people that we love and are close to that who have died at a young age, but it hasn't hit me this close to home yet. Yeah. So like you don't know how you're going to react. It's entirely irrational. Um, And the, the doctors don't know what's happening. It takes them days to figure out
1: what he has. So, give us the timeline. You mm-hmm. you got rushed to Hopkins yeah. Friday night or Saturday, Saturday morning, morning, like one in the morning. Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, he is uh, sedated. Yeah. Well, he has he has they has the procedure right when he gets right there. there. Yep. You see him that day later, and then he's sedated for how long? Five days, all
0: the way until Thursday, Friday. Okay, so. Thursday. Or, I know so, was Friday. He he came off the ventilator on Friday, so almost a full week. Yeah, um, which which you don't want to do, obviously, uh, with with a baby or really with anybody. The longer they're sedated, the more
1: complications are brought in. Um, but yeah. they
0: had no choice.
1: We had no choice. He could not. So because what? Yeah. So they were they were needed his lungs to what what, yeah. what were they wanting to happen? So they needed the themselves.
0: swelling in his throat to go down. They knew that his throat was swollen and that his airway was so narrow. They knew that, but they didn't understand why. But they knew that it was. So they needed that to widen up a little bit. And then his left lung, when they would take x rays, was really cloudy, which means it wasn't getting oxygen. Um, It wasn't opening up. It really wasn't working. And so they needed that to open up and they needed the swelling in his throat to go down before they could take him off of the ventilator. So every day, they're taking x-rays, they're taking all these different tests, they're doing all these things to look at it and be like, okay, is it better? Is it worse? What's happening? They're giving him steroids, they're giving him pain medicines, they're giving him sedation medicines, they're giving him all of this stuff that I don't know what it is, um, but it's like a ton of things that are happening. And they're monitoring him. And so we're with him every day at this point. Um, And so we can see him. We're in the room with him the entire time. It's not like we couldn't sit there. And like throughout every day, the machines would start beeping. His blood pressure would go up. His heart rate would go down. His oxygen levels would fluctuate. All of this stuff constantly throughout the day. And it's terrifying. Um, And uh, eventually they see his lungs start to open up. And eventually they see... His throat start to open up a little bit, um, and they they get an MRI, uh, a CAT scan, because the X rays weren't telling them enough. And what they at this point kind of think is the problem is confirmed. He has something called uh, tracheal rings. So in everybody we have in everybody's trachea, you have these little horseshoe things that go down your throat. That is a, that's made of cartilage and it's attached to the back of your throat that is made of like, I don't know if it's muscle or not, but it's made of something that is able to expand. Your throat is able to expand. So if uh-huh. it gets swollen, it can expand wider and it can go back to normal. But everybody's trachea has those horseshoes. For him, it's not a horseshoe. It's an entire ring that is connected that is made of cartilage that then makes his throat narrow. And it's a bunch of them. We don't even know how yeah. many there are yet. So how, how, how rare is this? Extremely rare. Well, it's extremely rare from what we know. The problem is a lot of babies can die from this because there's no way that you would know that, yeah. that they have this. So they don't really know how many people have it or how many babies have it because many babies will die from it um, if you're not careful. And ours almost did. Yeah. we were fortunate that we were already in the hospital um but if if a baby's airway starts to close rapidly and you're not able to get him to a hospital that fast, then yeah you know it's not good so
1: so a lot of babies how can long die does run. it yeah how long does it take so he's taken off the ventilator on friday friday Um, so how long does it take to see like just more and more improvement?
0: So when they take him off the ventilator, he at least could open his eyes, but, um, he's still recovering from the sedation medicine that they gave him too. So like he can't move his arms, can't move his legs. Um, he at least can look at us. He doesn't, he's not able to smile or anything like that. It takes a couple days to see him smile. And when the first time that we saw him smile was like gold, it was like, oh my gosh! Like this, our it's our baby coming back. Like it's our it's our little boy that that we can see again, um, and we can. He's starting to get back to who he is, but he's still on. Uh, he still has a feeding tube, and he still has another tube going down his throat um, that, or up through his nose that goes down to his throat, um, and he's on oxygen, all those sort of things. Um, so he's not out of the woods by any means. He still isn't out of the woods. Um, it takes – we're we're basically in the hospital for another week. So it was mm. two full weeks that we were living in the hospital every day um, and hoping to see some improvement with our boy where one day he would get a little better. Another day he would get a little worse. And it's this constant up and down that that we experience. So yeah. what needs to happen with him at this point is
1: he has he's, to – Well, he's home now. He's home now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he seems pretty much – Back to his normal self. His personality back. His, yeah. Still has breathing issues though, right? Yes.
0: He he sounds like a truck breathing. It's very loud, and he's sitting right next to me, so I don't know if he's if his noises are coming through at all. But um, he's he's very loud breathing. He kind of wheezes a lot when he gets excited. Uh, you can see like the breathing in his ribs. Um, They're called retractions So if you have a young baby And they're breathing and you see the skin Kind of getting sucked in by their throat Or by their ribs That's not a good sign It means that they're having trouble breathing Um, But he's okay so that happens to him And uh, we've taken him back to the doctors A couple times and they're like he's okay If it's for a long period of time Then that's when you need to be concerned All those sort of things Um, But he's home now and we basically have to keep him Quarantined from people we don't – because he can't get sick again. If he gets yeah. sick again, then the same thing could happen. So if, if I start to get a runny nose, if Lauren starts to get a runny nose, Camden, whatever, then we have to leave the house basically. And the other person will have to take care of him. If Camden gets sick, she's staying at your house for a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> or, or, or my parent or our parents or Lauren's parents. Like we have to keep him healthy. Yeah. Eventually, he has to get a surgery – uh, in about two months.
1: Explain how the surgery goes.
0: So the surgery is very rare. There are very few hospitals that even do the surgery. Uh, the hospital that does it the most in the country is the University, University of Cincinnati, and they do the surgery about eight times a year. So they do it the most, and they don't even do it that often. Yeah. Um, Johns Hopkins has only done this, hasn't done this surgery in about three years. Um, uh, Children's Hospital, which is in D.C., that's closest to us, they do it about twice a year. The reason why it's so rare is because you need a cardiothoracic surgeon, who is a heart surgeon, and you need an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, specialist. So you need both of them. Most hospitals don't have either, and if they do have either, they have only one. Very few have both. So, like, to find a hospital that has both a cardiothoracic surgeon and an ENT specialist, ear, nose, and throat surgeon, is very rare. Um, and they have to put him on bypass. They have to open... What, what
1: does bypass mean? Basically,
0: they have to put him for his heart. Uh, they have to pump his heart. Um, they, they, he have to, they have to open him up, and uh, they have to cut his trachea, and... If your trachea is, you know, it's a certain length, they have to basically cut off the bottom of his trachea and slide it up to the part where it's narrow to widen it. So they will shorten his trachea, but widen it at the same time. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Um, so obviously it's very risky. Obviously it's very rare. There are a lot of complications that are going into this and it's a very scary procedure. There's no way around it. We know that. Um, we, we fully understand it, and it is, uh, it's pretty terrifying. So now the success rate is is, is is good for a baby in his condition. So what do you mean? Whenever a baby is diagnosed with tracheal rings, it's a 5050 shot that you all, that, that that baby also has heart problems,
1: and he does not. A lot of them also have Down syndrome, Correct.
0: right? A lot of a lot of uh, people with tracheal rings have Down syndrome as well. He he does not have Down syndrome. Um, basically, the only problem that he has are the tracheal rings. So that's a blessing. Like that is huge,
1: because. Yeah
0: it's so common to have so many more problems that go along with this because it's all connected. Your, your trachea, obviously, and your throat is connected to your lungs and other organs and your heart is involved, all of these things. So it's easy for everything else to be affected at the same time where he doesn't have any other, th- any other stuff going on down there besides his trachea. Um, so that's, that's really positive. And that gives us um, uh, you know, more success rate, a higher success rate. For what, for what he's dealing with. So that's yeah. really the, the the story of it.
1: So far. So far. Yeah. So for those that are that listening to this, that are friends with us, or specifically Shane, mm-hmm. that know us personally, um, I know that there's been a huge community that's just come around, you and Lauren, yeah. Camden, um, to help with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the people that are just just listen to this podcast that don't actually know us, just found us mm-hmm. somehow, which we know there's a lot of them. Um, uh, I would, I mean, I'll, I'm speaking for you here, but yes. uh, just continue to pray for us. If yeah. you're, if you're praying people, I know that I'm listening to this mm-hmm. are, are Christians, but because um, Shane and Lauren and specifically Russell really need it. Yeah. Um, what is really, and we can kind of maybe close with this question. Um, how have, You've seen your faith mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. through this, yeah. whether it's grow or not or yeah. or what. Yeah, so it's, you know,
0: throughout every step of this and it getting worse and worse and more terrifying, um, God has stepped up and has been there in every situation. I think back to when we were at Howard County and things are going downhill and Lauren and I are literally on our knees and praying, and asking God to save our boy, to heal him. And um, we, in and, and those moments, you don't even know what to pray. I just remember just praying over and over and over: "Heal my boy, heal my boy, heal my boy! Don't let him die, don't let him die!" Over and over and over and over again. And uh, if you, I, obviously, I've never been in that situation before, and you haven't either, that is awful. But we're just praying over and over and over. That there was an X-ray technician at Howard County, who, um, as we're crying and looking into the room, walks over and and wraps her arm around Lauren, and um, and she actually is a pastor as well. She's an X-ray tec- technician and a pastor in training, and she just starts praying with Lauren, and she was Jesus to us in that moment, and I talked to her as well, and she just lifted us up and. She, it's so, it was so great to have somebody else praying with us and for us, and we didn't even know her. Yeah. Then when we go to Hopkins, um, the, I talked about Josh, the chaplain. He was Jesus to us in that moment, lifted us up. He was, did exactly everything that we needed. And Then on top of that, the nurses and the doctors that we got to meet who saved our boy's life, they were Jesus to us in moments where they were able to calm us down and they were able to, to give us some assurance and obviously they talked to us and got to know us and like we have relationships with these nurses and these doctors that we will never forget. There was a nurse named Megan who was wonderful and Lauren and her actually exchanged numbers. That's yeah. how close we got to this person and um, she asked us all these questions. She was just unbelievable. She was the first nurse that we had. There was a nurse named named uh, Catherine, who we had for three days in the middle of the week, which is unusual for a nurse. A lot of times they change patients. And she was absolutely great. We developed a great relationship with her. The doctors um, uh, that, that, that we developed relationships with. I say all this because even in our darkest moments, God showed up. Even in our worst moments, God provided exactly what we needed. Um, and in the most difficult time of my life, God was more real to me than he's ever been. And God's been real to me a lot of times. Um, I, I, I don't feel like I've had a very difficult life. Um, do, you, do you feel that way? No. right? Like we have not, I've not had a lot of hard times, some hardships or trials. I mean, little things here and there, but nothing huge. And this was huge. So it's uncharted waters. And we don't know exactly how we're going to react until we're in that moment. And then when I was in that moment, I couldn't have been more thankful for the faith that I had because I knew no matter the outcome, life is good and God is good. And life is hard in that moment, but no matter what happened, I knew that God had me every step. So without Jesus in that moment, Oh my gosh! It was already hard enough, but I don't yeah. even want to know where we where I would have been.
1: And you, as you were telling the your whole, the whole story, um, that you probably didn't even notice it, but I noticed it. You kept show saying little things that shows that even in like this horrific time, mm-hmm. the little things that were beyond your control that God was also doing at the same time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like. He has tracheal rings, which is very rare, but it's also rare for him to not have anything else. Yep. Um, it, if that tube did not get down far enough, it was it was going to die. Most babies that have this end up dying. They don't even know because they end up dying. Not, but not Russell. So like, you can look at it as, guy, why would you give him tracheal rings and, and look at it that way? Yeah. But you're choosing, right. because it's the choice, to look at it as, even in this, mm-hmm. that I don't blame God for, God is continue, continually coming yeah. to us, yeah. and and our prayer continues to be that that the surgery goes well and everything's fine. Because if it goes well and he, and everything's fine, then there shouldn't be any long term ramifications, right? It should be kind of it and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like
0: I was, I asked, I remember asking doctors, "Is he going to be able to run? Can he play sports? Is it like is his breathing?" And they're like, "No, if as long as everything goes well, he won't have any other issues with this the rest of his life."
1: yeah so unbelievable um, so yeah so we'll we'll keep everybody updated Mm -hmm. on what's happening and we'll post stuff and let everyone know when surgery's happening so that the entire community can pray Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, um, and I I appreciate you sharing this with in this platform Mm -hmm. in as as (laughs) real of a way as you possibly can in as much detail as you've probably given in a long time. Like, I don't oh. know because people ask constantly what, and I, I tell them what I know, but I, right. there's things that after you told the story, it was like, Oh, I, I got that wrong. <laughs> I told them that, that incorrectly. Um, so now people can kind of hear it from you yeah. and people they didn't know can now be on in your corner. So, um, here's, if you want to reach out to Shane personally, mm-hmm. like not just NYM and just like drop a line, let them know that you're thinking about him, praying about him. Mm-hmm. Um, your email is smalenceine at gmail.com, yeah. right? Yep. So you can send Shane an email directly. Sure. Um, we already told you other ways you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's what's happening with us. So if we're off for a couple weeks, you'll know why. Yeah. <laughs> because we're trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. We can't do it in the same house right, right now. Right. Because I can't bring my kids around Russell. Mm-hmm. Um we have to be careful with with him. But um our yeah. plan and, is
0: to still keep going with the podcast like we're not planning on stopping the podcast yeah uh, but life is obviously crazy right now and uh, a lot of things in my life has been put on hold because this is the most important thing right now and yeah. that's and that's life
1: so why don't we close with you just to what what's the last thing you want to say yeah to friends family just to anyone that through your experience cl- we'll close with that you just you close out yeah whatever you want to say and we'll we'll close sure.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, well, I think one thing that I hadn't mentioned throughout this is the importance of community um, and the importance of so many people being there for us between our immediate family. I mean, Camden was basically going from your house to mom and dad's house to my in-law's house just in, in a circle basically through most of this and randomly staying at our house um, when one of us would be home. So like the support system that we had was massive. And then the church support system that we had was unbelievable. Uh, The community all around us picked us up. And so many people, the best, I guess this is is good to say too, because a lot of people didn't know how to, like, well, can I contact Shane? Can I contact Lauren? I don't want to bother them. I don't want to bug them. Whatever it is. And then other people would just go out of the way and, and contact you. The best thing that people did was shot us a message that just said, hey, you don't even need to answer this. You don't feel the need to reply, but just know I've been thinking about you, I'm praying for you, we're lifting you up, and we're here for you, anything you need. That was the best, for us at least. I don't know if, uh, I'm sure everybody's different, but for Lauren and I, that was the best. And if we were able to respond, then we did. Um, But there's no right or wrong way to go about that. But if you don't have a solid community around you, I mean it's it's skating on thin ice. Because when life does flip upside down, we don't know when that will happen, but it will happen eventually. When it does flip upside down without community, without Jesus, oh my goodness. I I don't I don't know how you handle it. I don't know what to yeah. do. So think about who's close to you. Think about who's around you, and think about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, without that, we're nothing. Um, life, when life is good, life is easy, oh, we don't need it. But when life goes crazy, we desperately understand how important community is and how important Jesus is. That's all I got.
1: Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast,